And we are back on our ad hoc shows. Uh, Tim, how mm. goes it? You, were, you you traveled. You went out there like a daring madman. Intrepid I am. Intrepid. <laughs> uh, hey, it was my mother's birthday, 77 years old. Hey, mom. Mother, my, mother, my mother is like, uh, come on, dude. Uh, you, you were in the Air Force for years. You can figure it out. Get your ass here. Uh, uh, and I'm like, your mom, it's not about me. It's about you. Uh, and, uh, and my mom, my, my, and, and everyone back in St. Louis has been, you know, very careful and all this kind of stuff, you know. My sister hasn't been to my mom's house in, you know, two months. Wow. Uh, and, uh, my, my, my brother only comes to the stoop and all of this kind of stuff. But, um, um, I've been taking care of business here. So I did, in fact, travel. Uh, flight from here to Dallas, frankly, overcrowded. Uh, hmm. uh, but everyone had on masks and, and, and it was, you know, d- d- nicely, uh, nicely executed. So fine. Uh, the flight from Dallas to St. Louis empty. Wow. Uh, no one to the left of me, one to the right, no one in front, no one in the back. It was just totally empty flight. Um, um, uh, and uh, and the airports themselves empty. Um, hmm. So this is over. This is over the um, uh, the Memorial Day holiday uh, yeah. that I'm talking about here. So that's what it looked like out there. And uh, but everyone was uh, everyone was behaving well and uh, kind of got in and got out and got back and it's okay. And mom's good. Solid as a rock. Fantastic. Uh, bulletproof she is. Bulletproof she is. Well, uh, to to pivot, what is not bulletproof, is, unfortunately, is Twilight Time. Whom we have uh, praised over the years for their wonderful work at uh, licensing some great old titles, a lot of Woody Allen stuff, and uh, putting it out there with wonderful audio commentaries and uh, and really uh, kind of keeping the boutique brand alive, doing these uh, three thousand press limited runs, and uh, unfortunately with the the passing of uh, Nick Redman. The, one of the founders, the uh, the Twilight Time brand is is no more. So as of uh, three days from now, their remaining inventory will be taken over by Screen Archives, who has always been a distributor of their titles. And um, you know, if you have any Twilight Times, hang on to them because those are those are only going to increase in value. Those are all now officially out of print. They're mm-hmm. already valuable with those three thousand runs. So. Uh, we bid farewell to Twilight Time. Really a wonderful brand, but a uh, wonderful label. But, uh, you know, Nick, Nick Redmond's passing kind of pulled the plug on it, and uh, yeah. it was probably probably inevitable. You know, we're going we're gonna to start off, not, not much in the way of Hollywood news generally, um, just a lot of rumors as to what's going to be the future for, at least the near future, for film production. And I'm not hearing a whole lot other than what our friend Sherman sent us, which was just kind of a big pep talk from Lionsgate. Yeah, uh, yeah thing on Lionsgate. Yeah. Uh, uh, which was yeah, a little bit ridiculous, actually. Yeah. It, it's, it, the, the guidelines are going to be in flux, I think. I don't, people are not going to want to wear masks on set, and they're not going to want to quarantine, but there will be other things that people can do. But they're, it's gonna, no visitors to sets, so all those nice stories for the, for the next six, seven months or so that you see of set visits by journalists will not happen. Yeah. Well, uh, other places around the world are going back to work. They are, yeah. Other, other, other places you're you're able to shoot. So um, it'll start ramping up again. It'll start ramping up. We'll be back to normal in no time. We'll all look back on this like a bad dream one day. So I'm going to blow through a a giant pile of Kino here. Kino has not stopped. A lot of these other companies have kind of had trouble with fulfillment and whatnot, uh, but. Kino has just been burning it down like like mad, and uh, I'm going to roll through. We've got an unbelievable number of great titles here. You will not see these on Mubi. You will not see these on HBO Max. You will not see these on Disney Plus or on Criterion. 
These are Blu-rays that are only available through Kino, and uh, there's a lot of great stuff here. And uh, while you're still quarantined or looking for things to watch while production is shut down, you've got a, a wealth of things here. The first one I want to give a shout-out to is Me, Natalie, which is a very, very deeply personal film to me. This was made in 1969. I did not see it in 1969. Mm -hmm. But the writer of the film, Martin Zweibach, goes by the credit A. Martin Zweibach, uh, was a very, very dear friend of mine. Martin passed about five years ago. I met him on my way back from the Cannes Film Festival with his his, uh, his wife, Adrian, in uh, 1994. And uh, we came, became very, very good friends. Martin also famously wrote The uh, the Ultimate Solution of Grace Quigley, otherwise known as Grace Quigley, starring Catherine Hepburn and Nick mm -hmm. Nolte. And uh, he was one of the original staff writers on Kung Fu. And uh, Martin was just a wonderful human being and an incredibly talented writer. And uh, he wrote this really, really special film in 1969, which is basically an ugly duckling story. It stars Patty Duke, who had won an Oscar, obviously, for The, uh, for the Miracle Worker. And uh, here she's, she's a, a teenager who um, just doesn't have any self-confidence. And it's all about her journey to confidence through, through romance. Uh, this, this young guy played by James Ferentino. And it's just, it's a beautiful, beautiful story directed by Fred Coe, who did A Thousand Clowns. Um, it won a Golden Globe for Patty Duke. And uh, it also features a, uh, a Grammy-nominated score by Henry Mancini, which is just absolutely gorgeous. So it's very much in the era. It's a beautiful film. It is finally out on Blu-ray uh, from, uh, from Kino. I'm just so, so sorry that it can't have a commentary on it from Martin because he, yeah. used, to, he used to talk about this film all the time and how special it was to him. And it, it was something he was really proud of. So um, I'm sorry he, he, didn't, he didn't live to be able to do a commentary, but boy, uh, what a wonderful tribute to his talent as a writer. Me, Natalie, N-A-T-A-L-I-E, starring Patty Duke, James Ferentino, and some great supporting turns from uh, Elsa Lanchester and Martin Balsam, too. So really superb there. Um, let's, uh, let's blow through some of the rest of this as quickly as possible. Um, Alice in Wonderland, live action version starring Cary Grant, W.C. Fields, and Gary Cooper which people oftentimes don't realize exists. Uh, this was made in 1933. It's an early sound picture, and it is the first genuinely... Uh, you can see the inspiration for the Disney animated film in this, in spades. I mean, this is a really great live-action Alice mm. in Wonderland. It is so... It just doesn't get enough credit. Uh, Norman MacLeod, it's really wonderful. What an incredible cast, too. I mean, uh, Leon Errol is in this, uh, Raymond Hatton, Edward Everett Horton, the great Edward Everett Horton, and his wonderful voice, um, Baby Leroy, Roscoe Carnes. I mean, it's really, just is an amazing cast and a really wonderful film. Finally on Blu-ray, W.C. Fields is just sensational in this. You can't, I mean, it really is, it's classic. You know, you know it's black and white, sure, you don't get the color of the, uh, the Disney animated, but boy, what a great movie. Uh, we also have Taza, Son of Cochise, a really, really hysterical 3D movie from 1954 starring Rock Hudson as Cochise, mm. the brother of Geronimo. Uh, Rock Hudson is not Native American. Doesn't even come close. It's hilarious to see him do it. If you watch this in 3D, you, it's, even, it's even more priceless. It's, it's just, it, this would obviously not pass muster today. Uh, direct, uh, produced by uh, Ross Hunter and... Um, Directed by, of all people, Douglas Sirk, who I'm sure would love to take this back uh, if he were alive. 
this has a great commentary on it, though. David Del Valle, uh, C. Courtney Joyner, and 3D expert Mike Ballou all get together and give you a wonderful, wonderful backstory on this. So it's a real odd film from 1954. It's not particularly good, but it is kind of significant. And uh, uh, Ian McDonald from High Noon plays Geronimo in this, and that's almost as funny as Rock Hudson playing <laughs> playing Taza, son of Cochise. I should say, not Cochise, Taza. So Geronimo's nephew, Taza, son of Cochise. Anyway, you watch this thing, it's just absolutely hilarious. Um, Gene Hackman and Barbara Streisand did a great little movie called All Night Long in 1981. Uh, it's kind of a 70s movie. It sort of belongs to the um, to the the, the, the the Barbara Streisand screwball comedy stuff that she oh, did prior yeah. to that. Uh, you know, Mary with, Gibb and all that. Yeah, it's it's it, what she was doing kind of you know mostly in the 1970s. It's um it's kind of in that pocket. Um, and, uh, you know, with, with, with Ryan O'Neill and all that, you know, yeah. it's, it's that kind of thing, except it's got Gene Hackman in it, who's not terribly funny, but, uh, he tries. Diane Ladd, Dana, Dennis Quaid, uh, also star in it, uh, all night long. Not, not a great film, but not a terrible film. Uh, probably worth checking out if you are a Barbara Streisand completist. Um, Odd little movie here from 1977. Just about everything in 1977 fades in the in the in the shadow <laughs> of Star Wars and Close Encounters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is called The Chicken Chronicles, um, which is the first film that ever starred Steve Gutenberg. Oh, that, Steve, yeah, yeah. It's you know, it, it takes place in 1969. It's just a, it's kind of a kind of a dumb high school youth movie. Uh, Steve Gutenberg is is hamming it up. Uh, an aging Phil Silvers shows up just for a moment. Uh, it's not great, but, you know, it's a Steve Gutenberg movie. It's the original first Steve Gutenberg movie. It's the movie we have to blame for Steve Gutenberg. So, uh, oh. yeah. <laughs> so that's there. Um, this is an interesting oddity that uh, that I was uh, completely forgotten about. A Man, a Woman, and a Bank from 1979. Um, really uh, fascinating. Paul Mazursky shows up in this in a, in a rare acting performance uh, between directing jobs, and it stars Donald Sutherland, Brooke Adams, uh, and it was directed by Noel Black. And it's uh, it's kind of an odd little romantic caper film. Uh, Donald Sutherland is this con artist, and um, Paul Mazursky's his buddy, and they're they're going to try to pull off. A, a an electronic bank robbery, basically. They're going to try to high-tech it. And in 1979, that's really ahead of the curve, you know. This is mm -hmm. the kind of thing that we might do today with where everything is digital. But at the time, this is kind of an interesting idea. You've got this electronic vault system, the alarm, and the building is still under construction, so it's not completed yet. And it's, it's pretty, it's kind of smart, you know. It, it cuts a few corners, has a few holes, but... Um, Otherwise, not a not a bad film. It has an audio commentary by director Noel Black and producer Peter Samuelson, and then an audio commentary by a couple of film historians. And the trailer it is called "A Man, a Woman, and a Bank," and it is nice to see Paul Mazursky not saddled with having to be an actor in his own movie. He's just acting for somebody else, and it's cool. Yeah, uh, Christopher Lee in the search in search of Dracula. Oh, I love that one. Yeah, uh, this is from 1975. This also has an audio commentary by a couple of film historians, Lee Gambit and John Harrison. And uh, it's it, this is this is fine, you know. Peter uh, Christopher Lee is identified entirely with Dracula to this day. He played it, you know, a dozen times, or you know, I, I, it's just endless how how many dumb Dracula movies he made. And some yeah. of them, some of them were good. 
but uh, no, this is this is basically a um, this is a a uh, an attempt to sort of get to the the root of who Dracula really was. The, the whole Vlad the, the Impaler, all that stuff. Yeah, the, the the you know the real Vlad the Impaler, and and um, it, this is actually the first time that anybody actually went and shot the Borgo Pass. Which is where uh, a lot of these vampire stories originate because of vampire bats that live there. It's actually quite creepy. So um, that's you know for people who want to really really get their their complete Christopher Lee uh, Dracula on and, and with a little dose of documentary backstory on it. That's a good one. Uh, Lonely are the brave in honor of the uh, great Kirk Douglas who left us just so recently from 1962. We were talking about 1962 and we interviewed Stephen Farber in his great book. Uh, on that being the best year of uh, in film history, this is one of those films that sort of uh, is center yeah. is centerpiece to that. Uh, Kirk Douglas stars along with Jenna Rollins and Walter Matthau, and it is really really a terrific film. It's uh, it's a contemporary western based on the uh, Edward Abbey book, and uh, gets a great Dalton Trumbo screenplay. Really really muscular and gives uh, Kirk Douglas a lot to chew on. And there's a really, really wonderful backstory to this too, which you get in the uh, in the tribute uh, documentary, which has, has a lot of interviews in, including Michael Douglas and Kirk Douglas, Steven Spielberg. Great commentary on here by uh, Howard Berger and Steve Mitchell. And uh, there's even a thing on the Jerry Goldsmith score, which is really, really lovely. Um, got a got a couple of Leslie Norman films here. Leslie Norman, kind of an underrated director. And uh, I'm going to segue into through a couple of these. Got some. It's all kind of British stuff here that I've got in in this next little batch. So let me let me kind of jump through them. So Leslie Norman, really really solid British director, um, worked with Associated British and a few other things in uh, in the 1960s. And the first one here is called The Long and the Short and the Tall. Stars Lawrence Harvey, Richard Todd, and Richard Harris. Good uh, kitchen sink realism guys. And this all takes place during the Japanese invasion of Burma in 1942, and a bunch of British soldiers who have to uh, go on a mission through the jungle and uh, and and tackle the Japanese. It's a good war movie, good solid British war movie. It has uh, has a lot of really really good solid scenes in it. No extras, but uh, definitely worth checking out. The other Leslie Norman film is The Night My Number Came Up, which stars Michael Redgrave and Denholm Elliott. We mm. love Denholm Elliott from the love Indiana Jones. Oh, he's so good. And uh, this What's is the most in Raiders of the Lost. Oh, I was just gonna say he's so good, right? He's he just he brings he brings so much class to that to that film. Uh, this is made in 1955. Uh, the night my number came up, and uh, it's a it it it's a how to how to kind of phrase this out so I don't spoil this for people. There's a um, this is all kind of about the the impact that dreams have on you and. Um, the, uh, there's a dream in here, a kind of destiny dream, a fateful dream that is relayed by a, um, a military commander, a, an air force commander to some friends about what may or may not happen. And, uh, this is all about how that dream may or may not play out relative to the fates of all of these people. That's the best I'm going to be able to do without giving away any of the twists and turns in this. But it's a pretty smart script. Uh, Leslie Norman directed it, written by R.C. Sheriff, somebody I don't even know. Has a great commentary by Sam Dean and uh, and a trailer. Also have Michael Redgrave showing up in a Basil Dearden movie from 1946 called The Captive Heart. 
This is a lovely, lovely film with a terrific cast. This was made for Ealing Studios. It has Mervyn Jones, uh, Rachel Kempson, uh, Basil Radford. Really, really good, solid British cast from that time. Basil Dearden, of course, really, really uh, superb director of a bunch of things, including Dead of Night and some really, really classic British films in the time. Mm. And uh, this is one of his more underrated films. This is about a... Um, a, a Czechoslovak army uh, officer played by Michael Redgrave, just buy it, buy that he's Czech for a second, just kind of go roll with it. Michael Redgrave is a Czech mm-hmm. who pretends hey, to Rock be... Hudson was coachy. So. Uh, yeah, I know. So he's a, he's a Czech army officer who pretends to be a dead British officer during World War II and gets caught and uh, is made a British prisoner of war as a result. And then this this gets into a really fascinating uh, kind of an espionage twist and takes a, a number of turns that you do not see happening. So um, very sharp. And speaking of Raiders of the Lost Ark, Doug Slocum was the DP for this. So another Raiders of the Lost Ark alum. Uh, Alistair Sim, the wonderful Alistair Sim, so good in a Christmas, the, the classic Christmas Carol. Um, and director Guy Hamilton, uh, later of James Bond fame, got together for the 1954 film, and Inspector Calls. And uh, you can totally see why Guy Hamilton would go on to do uh, a lot of James Bond stuff like Goldfinger, yeah. uh, because this really has, like, the... This has kind of a James Bond-ish quality to it. It's a murder mystery, um, and uh, Alistair Sim plays the inspector who has to un- detangle all of it. It's really very sharp. It's a very, very classic British mystery, but it has a it has a great kind of panache to it that uh, that a lot of other mysteries of the preceding era did not have. Um, also from Ealing Studios is Pool of London, directed again by Basil Dearden. And uh, this has a, a slightly less known cast. This was made in 1951, right in the in the thick of that uh, that uh, kitchen sink realism moment. And uh, it's one of the more underrated of the Angry Young Men films, but it's probably worth really, really checking out if you are a fan. This was filmed on location around the uh, the Thames, right in the middle of London, and um, it's about a couple of sailors on shore leave who get caught up in a in a crime escapade. And uh, you know, don't didn't see it coming. They wind up sort of in the thick of all of this stuff, and all of these the kind of gritty figures. It's got a real noir feel to it. Pool of London, really, really sharp film. Uh, Brighton Rock, directed by John Bolting from 1948, early, kind of on the cusp of the uh, the angry young men period, uh, has a, re- a great performance by a super young Richard Attenborough in 1948. So amazing, pre pre the Great Escape, which we will, uh, which we've, I'll oh, get to later. Uh, and uh, this was a co- written, believe it or not, by Graham Greene and Terrence Radigan. How that even works, I don't know. They don't, they don't have an ampersand between them. So I'm assuming Graham Greene wrote the first script. Terrence Radigan rewrote Graham Greene. Maybe the only time that ever happened. Uh, directed by John Bolting. Really, uh, really a super cool crime film. All about, uh, you know, Richard, Richard Attenborough is this kind of young gangster, right? A young thug, young street hood. And um, uh, he's, he's we, we forget sometimes that Richard Attenborough was 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 quite the actor when he oh, was a man. such the actor yeah, and yeah. and and the and the, the the whole angle here is that he there's this young waitress who's going to testify against him and so I won't tell you quite how this all works out but he he marries her in order to prevent that which is 
there's a, there's a thing. There's an additional thing going on here that that's really really quite interesting. Anyway, very very sharp. Uh, good kind of solid British noir. I'll do a few more of these and then I'll save the other the rest of them for a, for another blitz later. Let's see. Also, uh, Jason Robards and Barbara Harris in A Thousand Clowns from 1965. Gosh, what a good year that was too. Um, this is a wonderful, wonderful master, a new 2K master that they, uh, they did this uh, Blu-ray transfer from. This is a fantastic film. Uh, Fred Coe, again, who directed Me, Natalie, uh, produced and directed this in 1965, just a few years before he did Me, Natalie, and it is equally wonderful and sweet. This is a based on a Broadway performance. Uh, Jason Robards was on Broadway. He stars in the film as well. And, uh, it's, uh, it, it's just one of those, one of those, it's like Frankie and Johnny. It has kind of a Frankie and Johnny quality to it. Barbara Harris plays a social worker. Um, and, uh, Jason Robards is this really kind of odd eccentric figure. And, uh, it, it all kind of, they, they, they wind up coming together over the fate of a 12 year old kid who's about to go to a foster home. And uh, really, it's a, it's, a, it's a sharp little movie. It really is a sharp little movie. Uh, a Thousand Clowns, really a big deal in its day. Uh, Stanley yeah. Kramer, the, the great melodramatic master of the preachy movie, directs The Runner Stumbles from 1979. This is like one of the last Stanley Kramer movies. I forget exactly when he died, but this is really... Stanley Kramer just... He never really quite made it beyond this. This is... Aging and dated. I, 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 really, I really, I really like this Dick Van Dyke movie, though, man. It, this, 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 yeah, I, don't know, I kind of dug it. it. Well, I like Kathleen Quinlan in it. Kathleen Quinlan, one of my all-time young, favorite actors. Young, Quinlan, yeah. fantastic Kathleen Quinlan, and Bo Bridges, young Bo Bridges. No, I mean, Maureen Stapleton too is in that movie. Yeah, I don't know. yeah. It, 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 Lazo Kovacs. It's well made, but it still feels a little dated to me. It still feels like it belongs in the '60s. Right? You know what it is? I've always been a bigger fan of Stanley Kramer in Gen than than most people uh, will, will will admit to be. Yeah, uh, yeah. Who would have said if you want to uh, 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 send the message to uh, call Western Union? Yeah. Uh, somebody said that. That was uh, Sam Goldwyn. Sam Goldwyn. That was, that was Sam Goldwyn. Stanley yeah. Kramer would have said if you want to if you want to send a message, make a movie. Yeah. True. Uh, and and he truly believed that, and you know, and, and sometimes they could be, but I kind of dug them. Well, it, it's kind of a it, it's it's about a priest who is accused of of having had uh, a romance with a nun and killed her. That's the idea. And uh, Dick Van, you know, it, it gets a little courtroomy, but Dick Van Dyke's really really quite good in it. I'll give him that drama. Uh, and then let's see. I'll just I'll just do the uh, let me do do one more here before we we kick it over to TV. Oh, this is a good one. Richard Widmark and Richard Basehart, the two most macho Richards in movie history. Uh, <laughs> they uh, they made a movie in 1957 called Time Limit, which tells you everything about it. Uh, this is a great master. This is beautiful, beautiful black and white from uh, 1957. Really quick movie. Blows by very, very fast. Um, uh, directed by Carl Malden, believe it or not. Carl Malden directed a movie. I know. I think he directed a couple others anyway, as well. But anyway, he does a really good job. And uh, it's, it, it's, it's a war film. It's a little noirish. Takes place during the Korean War. And um, it... It's not like a like a full on combat movie, but it's it's the war is in the background, and basically Richard Basehart plays a former POW who uh, is suspected of having collaborated with the uh, the North Koreans, and um, but then his court martial kind of takes a weird turn, and uh, Richard Widmark is the colonel who is kind of in charge of the the uh, of being his judge advocate. 
and uh, and has to sort of detangle some of all this stuff. So um, anyway, allegedly, I, I, I just, I'm just looking at some notes here. It's the only film that uh, Carl Mald never directed. So yeah. anyway, it's sharp. Got June Lockhart and uh, Martin Balsam again shows up in this. Rip Torn has a part. Pretty great. Pretty great. So uh, that is Time Limit with Richard Basehart and Richard Widmark, directed by Carl Malden. <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's let's do a little a uh, little TV here. A little bit of TV. All right, uh, we got the Deuce season three. Yeah, uh, I believe the Deuce series. Maggie Gyllenhaal, David Simon, of course. Um, uh, the Deuce was the series that I began watching. You know, when it, when it when it first came out, um, I, I believe even even um, uh, James Franco w- was in the series playing twins. And, Holy and you cow. know, set, set in, uh, in, in, in the sort of porn district, uh, in the sort of porn business of New York, with Maggie Gyllenhaal being the sort of uh, porn star slash director slash businesswoman uh, trying to make her way amongst all these men. And she's one of the producers of the show. I, you know, um, after season one, I kind of fell off the show, to be honest. Um, uh, I kind of got it, you know. And, and, and frankly, I didn't really care for, for the slant uh, for their slant, their sort of kind of kind of funky uh, yeah, yeah, underworld slant on that whole scene. Um, uh, yeah, there, there were certainly some funky stuff that went on, but you know, I don't know. Anyway, this is a three disc set. Anything interesting uh, by way of special features on that box work? Not uh, not especially. Uh, there's a, a uh, some featurette stuff. There's some uh, you know episode discussions, uh, but not really not really anything just hugely groundbreaking. Mm. Uh, all right then, uh, Silicon Valley, the sixth and uh, I guess would be the final season of yeah. Silicon Valley. Yeah, uh, man, man, that that show really spit out a whole bunch of interesting people. Camille uh, Nanjani and Martin Starr. I mean, all all sorts of interesting people sort of come out of this series uh, uh, that's set in Silicon Valley. It's kind of a comedy, sort of interesting, I suppose. Um, um, what 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 I like about the series um, is I can always tell when Mike Judge yeah has directed an episode. Yeah, right. <laughs> just always tell They're like that's a Mike Judge episode, of, of, of the, and he directs like three yeah. or four of them uh, in the in the, in this set. So, any, anything interesting there? Nope, absolutely nothing. But I'll tell you, uh, the one good thing about Silicon Valley no longer being on is that Mike Judge will have to make a feature again now because I miss him <laughs> making. I want I want another Office Space is what I want. Uh, we also have Lucifer, the complete fourth season. Uh, we we do not have this in any form other than streaming. We have not been able to get the Blu-ray, but we were able to look at uh, some streaming options uh, of it online. And uh, you know what? I mean, uh, I never loved this show. It's uh, four seasons I was, in. I was kind of a Lucifer fan. I, I don't why. Yeah, I mean, Lucifer Morningstar. Um, yeah, it 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 it's, it it kind of is starting to sort of get into a groove. I I think it's somewhere between. Um, it's not they're they're doing a good job of keeping it away from self parody and maintaining all of the 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 mystical hell and Garden yeah. of Eden stuff that that is sort of the backstory to it. But man, I'll tell you, at a certain point, you know, four seasons in, it's awfully hard to continue to take that stuff seriously. <laughs> yeah, it's like, Supernatural ran for something like I know same same uh, same problem there same problem there. Know. It's all all the all the supernatural stuff with sort of occult and religious overtones. Uh, at a certain point, you, you know, you you feel like I don't know. You know, you, you could probably get two or three good seasons out of this. At that point, you're pushing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so completely not supernatural is Gunsmoke, oh. <laughs> complete series. If I'm not mistaken, Wade, uh, 150. Yeah. 
DVDs? Yes, yes, correct. 150 DVDs. I, I, I'm just crazy. I am looking at this right now. It has one, two, three, four, five, six gigantic, super thick keep cases, like that are like three inches thick, in one <laughs> giant box. You could you could beat someone to death with this thing, and there are roughly four to three to four seasons per, uh, you know, seasons one through four in the first one, five through seven, um, uh, then seasons eight and nine in just, just two seasons there, seasons 10 through 12 in another set, 13 through 15. Anyway, 20 seasons, mm. 20 seasons of this. You've got to love you a lot of Matt Dillon, man. <laughs> you have got to, you have got to love Matt Dillon. Like Matt Dillon and Kitty have got to just turn your, pull your chain like I, it, I, I mean, this is a lot of gun smoke. The, the <laughs> thing is, um, I'm certain, like I can say with confidence, that I've probably seen every single one of those episodes over the course of my entire life. <laughs> you know, my whole life. You know, yeah. you know, 50, 50, almost 59 years. Because you know, Gunsmoke when I was a kid had already been on for 10 years. Yeah. Uh, uh, and my mother and my all that, and I watch it and you and it pops up now. I'm pretty sure I've seen every single episode of Gunsmoke. You know what's fun about Gunsmoke? You watch enough Gunsmoke and you will see. All of the up-and-coming movie stars oh, that's true. of the day. That's all true. of them. Yeah. You're gonna see, you're gonna see, I mean, not just your Dennis Weavers, who were like you know regulars on the show yeah. and stuff like that, but folks who yes, you, you're uh, you're gonna get you're gonna get your uh, Bruce Derns. Oh yeah. Uh, you're, gonna, you're gonna get your you're gonna get your Robert Redfords. Yeah. Uh, you're gonna get your Steve McQueen. Yeah. You're gonna get all of these guys. You know your Jim Garners. You're gonna get them all. You know Dabney Coleman. Yeah. <laughs> you're gonna get them all if you watch enough Gunsmoke. It was it was a rite of passage, wasn't it? If you yeah. wanted to have a career as an actor. You had to land a gun smoke, but yeah. but when you did land that gun smoke, you felt like that's it. I cleared it. I cleared the hurdle. I got it. I'm in. And, and you get your women too. I don't want to leave them out. You're gonna get yeah. your Suzanne Plachette. You're gonna get your Barbara Eaton. Young, young, young. Oh you yeah. Know, just you know, playing some girl in a little tight in that bonnet or whatever the hell. It's just fantastic. So you know, hundred. That's worth uh, all 150 DVDs. It Ray Donovan, is. season seven, man. Yeah. Ray Donovan's been around since 2013. Hell. Um, uh, uh, Lee F. Shriver, of course. Um, uh, you know, I, I dig Ray Donovan. Um, uh, I, what I really like about Ray Donovan is not so much the, the you know, the, the about, about this guy's, you know, sort of South Boston thug comes to Hollywood, becomes this fixer guy, uh, to, to celebrities and this stuff. And that thing. It's, so, you know, interesting in, 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 in that sort of way. Um, um, but you know, I, the, the thing about Ray Donovan that always bugged me a little bit is that Ray Donovan not a particularly likable guy right you know he's kind of an ass yeah right and that's kind of cool you know that's that's what they that's what they do with it um anyway season seven anything on that anything on that box man there is uh let's see uh there's uh just a couple of featurettes that's it dash directs and deconstructing ray that's it just a couple of featurettes nothing else so did did you have uh, this uh, World War II drama series uh, PBS here? I think uh, the World on Fire um, um, is that was is that one of the boxes we have? World on Fire, boy. Let's see here. Uh, I do not see that. Is that out this week? I don't know if that's out this week. Cause I thought I thought pop up on the list. It's an interesting series, but if it's not, we'll just hold on to that for a minute. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that's been requested and we have not gotten, and I'm still trying to sort of manage all of the, uh, you know, what's expected and what's time, what's what's gotten here in a timely manner, and it's. Uh, 
Oh, hold on, hold on. World on Fire. Yes. We do have that? We do have World on Fire. You've seen, oh, have you yeah, seen World on Fire? I've, I've seen that series. I, I like that okay. series. It's, it's drama uh, set during World War II. I, I like it because it begins um, uh, in 1939. And, it, and it's loosely based on real people, on actual people's lives, diaries and uh, right. and, and whatnot uh, that have been cobbled together. So, you know, the names of the, these people are actually there. And it begins with the, the German invasion of Poland. And uh, in the first season ends with the Battle of Britain. And it's just, you know, it's just one of those well-executed, wonderfully executed British World War II dramatic series. Endless, you know, it's just endless with them. Uh, You know, with some really, really wonderful actors, including Helen Hunt. Helen Hunt in the series. And Leslie Manville. Uh, I'm I'm seeing Leslie Manville here, too. Fantastic. Yeah, Leslie Manville, Helen Hunt. So, yeah, good stuff, good stuff. Well, that's season one of World on Fire, Masterpiece uh, from PBS on Blu-ray. Fantastic. Good stuff. Um, let's see. We've also got The Good Place, the complete series. The Good Place, uh, an unexpectedly good show with Ted Danson yeah. and Kristen Bell. Um, you know, 53 episodes, four seasons, all together in a very, very nice, tight little Blu-ray box set here. And I got to tell you, man, I thought Ted Danson was was done after Cheers. And you know what? He kind of reinvented himself again with the white I- hair. And the idea of a sitcom that takes place after you die is pretty bold. It's kind of daring. It was a risk. I didn't think this thing would last more than half a season. I thought it would get canned. I didn't think anybody would watch it. You know what? It actually wound up being a really, really charming show, and I know a lot of people that seriously love it. Uh, you got to credit Michael Shure, who uh, was the who, who's just you know got a great touch on television. Yeah, uh, and he executive produced you know Brooklyn Nine Nine, Parks and Rec. So he kind of he has a feel for what people want, and uh, you got to kind of really give him credit for shepherding this thing in a in a very very smart way. That's from Shop Factory. Well done, The Good Place, the complete series. You know what I like about that series? Huh. Um, uh, because I didn't, I didn't care for it at first. You know, uh, you, you know, because I have this this sort of theory about these shows. But um, that 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 show is as much about philosophy as it is about religion. Yeah, uh, uh, true. You know, heaven and hell and all that kind of stuff. But it's really, it's really, it's you know, there's 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 all kinds of just just sort of philosophical and, and you know quantum physics and everything else. Which is uh, not and, which is not usually the domain of comedy per yeah. se to, to or levity, you know. But they they find it. anyway a lot of good stuff on here. Extended episodes, audio commentaries. They have a wonderful finale, uh, a special finale show hosted by Seth Meyers, which was really really great. Also a 2019 San Diego Comic Con panel. Um, you know, it's kind of like any other panel, gag reels, which are sort of, you know, whatever, and visual effects stuff. And and the one thing for people who are into behind-the-scenes thing, there's a table read on here. Table yeah. reads are not exciting, but if you want to see what one is like, then I guess it's it's kind of kind of fun. Uh, I'm going to go through a, a few um, uh, 4Ks. We've got a ton of 4Ks this week, some new, some old. But if you, if you want to bolster up your 4K uh, library, let me tell you, Sonic the Hedgehog which was delayed, by the way, because they had to redesign Sonic, because early screenings of this thing, people were apparently Sonic fans were irate at the design of Sonic. Uh, It didn't look like the Sonic from the video game or some such thing, so they had to go back and spend a million or ten million dollars on new CGI for Sonic. It's ridiculous. Anyway, uh, James Marsden and Jim Carrey uh, star in this. Jim Carrey uh, deciding to play a complete and totally ridiculous cartoon heavy. Uh, You know, I don't really understand how Sonic the Hedgehog justifies a movie. I don't get it. This is kind of like Garfield, but with yeah. a little with a little bit more speed to me. But um, anyway, for 4K, there it is. It's it, they got they got a great 4K transfer on here. The director Jeff Fowler and uh, Ben Schwartz does the voice of Sonic. 
um, do the commentary. Blu-ray on uh, disc two that has all the deleted scenes and bloopers and various other things. Um, Jim Carrey is in some of the bloopers. Yeah, he's funny. He mugs off screen. But I don't get it. Sonic the Hedgehog. I don't get it. It looks good, but I don't get it. Um, got a couple of uh, couple of slasher gore films from yesteryear from Blue Underground, who's gone 4K. These are the first two Blue Underground 4Ks, and um, they decided to go with uh, a couple of really, really nasty movies. William Lustig's Maniac and uh, Lucio Fulci's Zombie. Now, I'm just going to say, first of all, Zombie is not a movie I want to watch during a pandemic, but (laughs) I'm sure some of you do. Uh, and they did a restoration of this in 2018, uh, did the whole thing completely scanned in 4K 16-bit from the original two-perf camera negative, and boy, I'll tell you, I really didn't need to see this movie look this good. It's, uh, I didn't watch the whole thing. There are two discs on here, lots of extras on the second one, interviews and commentary stuff, and it's just it, tons, more than you would ever want to know about a Lucio Fulci movie. Mm. But... I'll tell you, you see every worm, every rotting piece of latex flesh. Uh, <laughs> it is it is all there. Um, William Lustig's Maniac is uh, probably easier to watch during a pandemic. It'll make you want to stay in and not feel bad about it. Uh, Maniac was was a was you know it was a it was a kind of a uh, a legendary slasher film uh, in its day, and uh, Lustig spent very little money on it. Frank Zito uh, is the is the 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 lead character um, played by Joe Spinell from you know the 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 Rocky from Rocky. Um, I mean, it, you know the I guess it's I guess it whatever. It the thing that's weird here is that it's a 4K transfer from a 16 millimeter negative. So 16 millimeter in 4K is getting more resolution on your television than it ever had on celluloid. It's a little weird, but it has it, it gives you a better kind of gritty slasher low budget film effect. So, you know that's that's an interesting one. The uh, the rest of these, and we got a giveaway by the way. I'm gonna do a giveaway here in a little bit. Uh, the Invisible Man with Elizabeth Moss just mm. it just came out. That's now on 4K. I gotta be honest. I kind of thought this was okay. Yeah, I had issues. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't. Film, yeah, yeah. I didn't expect yeah. much. Your thoughts? Well, she was a victim for too long in that movie. True, I agree. Um, uh, she spent too long. She spent too much time being a victim in that movie with this all uh, sadistic guy. And uh, you know that whole opening sequence, by the way, was really intense, though. You know, it's very good, and all of that was very, very good. And then you know, there's just this whole long, long, long period where she's a victim in the movie. It, it becomes one of the things of where um, is there an invisible man? Well, you know, to she knows that there is an invisible man. Yeah. Uh, she can't. She's trying to get other people to believe her. Oh, this is invisible. Oh, you're crazy. You're crazy. Well, you know, I know I'm not crazy. <laughs> I know there's yeah. an invisible man, and that's when you need to stop being a victim. And eventually, she does stop being a victim in the movie, but a little too long for my taste. Yeah, I mean, it is. It is in the long side. I I was supp- I, I went with very low expectations. I was pleasantly surprised at how crafted it was from a technical standpoint. I I don't expect because my last recollection of Invisible Man movies. Chevy Chase. <laughs> was, was, Chevy, was a Chevy Chase Invisible Man movie. And Steve, and Steve Gutenberg again, oh, oh, starring yeah. in the 3D Man Who Wasn't There. Yes. Dude, yes. I was an usher at the theater when that opened, and we all looked at each other when they told us that's what we were getting, and we said, a 3D Invisible Man movie? I don't understand. <laughs> what is the What's point the of point that? of that? 
That doesn't make any sense. Who, who, who came up with that bright idea? Like, who's even going to say, I don't, I don't get it. Ooh, if the, anyway, that was just a dreadful thing. Uh, our last three 4Ks here are, were supposed to be timed to coincide with the release of Maverick, the uh, Top Gun sequel with Tom Cruise, the ageless, yeah. uh, immortal Tom Cruise. That has been pushed, obviously, because of the pandemic, but these 4Ks are still out, and we're going to be giving some away. Yeah. And we got another one that's also part of a, a Paramount Blu-ray that's uh, that we're going to talk about shortly. But here's what we're giving away. We're going to give away two 4Ks of Top Gun, two 4Ks of Days of Thunder, and we're going to give away two Blu-rays of Flashdance, which obviously Tom Cruise is not in. And uh, what we're not giving away is War of the Worlds, but we're going to talk about it right now. So yeah. let me just get this out of the way first. Tom Cruise War of the Worlds. That's right. So first off, if you want to be considered for Top Gun, just send us an email to godsatdigigods.com or godsatcinegods.com and put your name and address in the body of the email and, and in the subject line, put... Top Gun. And if you want Days of Thunder, do the same thing. Godsdigigods.com, Godsdcindygods.com, name and address in the body of the email. In the subject line, put Thunder. And if you want the Blu-ray of Flashdance, just put Flashdance. So again, Top Gun, Thunder, Flashdance. Those are the key words that will get this sorted out, and we'll be able to pick a winner. Uh, as long as we get that by um, June 7th. June 7th is the cutoff date. If it's uh, date marked and time stamped uh, on June 7th, uh, we will be able to get this to Paramount and we will uh, we will have a winner. Um, but anyway, let's talk about the, the 4Ks or a couple of winners for each of these. Uh, we're giving away two of each. Uh, Top Gun. First off. Yeah. All of these all of these look amazing in 4K. Uh, the, God, the, I love that movie so much. The, the, the Paramount transfers of these are superb in every single way. Reference standard HDR, really, really looking terrific. Uh, this is, I mean, this is as good as 4K gets. I'm going to say this. Top Gun, I worked at the theater when Top Gun was released. Looks better than it looked in the theater. They've done a real number on it. Tom, Tom Cruise, so young. Honestly, I hated this movie at the time. I kind of I have, an, I, I have a nostalgic attack. But you're a military guy. You were yeah, in the Air yeah, Force. What can I say? What yeah. can I say? But, and you know, drove recruitment uh, to, to, to the Naval Academy, that movie, yeah. for years uh, after that. All, you know, all these guys wanted to be Top Guns. Well, uh, completely ridiculous. It's, it, it happened. I will say, watching all the uh, all the extras on here, all the uh, the featurettes, watching the... it's You know what? Tony Scott, man, he killed it. He really, really killed it. It totally holds up. Uh, it's a it's a better film today than it was at the time. I I totally concede. Uh, Days of Thunder. I also think is a better film. Yeah. I yeah. hated this at the time. I, again, I hated it at the time too. But it, it, but you know, on on it, particularly if you if you consider uh, you know, racing movies recently, what's the one that Ron Howard did? It was Rush, really really good. Rush, Rush. You know, I I, I watch Rush, love Rush. Uh, watch this, love this. Uh, and, and, and this is what, 25 years ago? What, what yeah. year was that? 1990, 30 years ago. I know. And Crazy. It really cranked it up. It was really, really good. Yeah. It's uh, days of thunder is, is, is a better film than I remember. Don Simpson and Jerry Bruckheimer doing it, uh, again at the time. Um, and then Royal Worlds, the Spielberg film. I, I never I never particularly liked this. I, I thought it was very calculated. I didn't think it was a great adaptation of the book. I thought it was very mercenary for Spielberg, the guy who sort of gave us nice aliens to kind of go back on himself and now give us the original bad aliens. 
I also didn't think it was terribly well shot. My, my complaints with the story are still kind of there, um, but my my nostalgia for Tom Cruise generally has increased. So I I just sort of focus on how much I love watching Tom Cruise because he's ageless and makes me feel ageless. But um, but it looks better. It was very pasty and digitally when it was released because they 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 had to sort of match the effects. The effects were not as sophisticated. They didn't have as much time to sort of make everything meld. So whenever you're really time strapped on a film and you can't finish your effects and make them b- meld into the film as well as they should, they tend to sort of flatten everything out. Mm. They sort of attack the color and they attack the depth so that you don't so the effects l- don't look as bad. And everything's a little gritty. This is much more polished. All of those problems go away in 4K. I give them all the credit in the world. They did a really good job of that. They really paid attention to it. And, great uh, score, great sound mix, that movie. Dakota Fanning, absolutely outstanding in that movie. It has almost nothing whatsoever to do with the H.G. Wells, correct. And I just thought to myself, why, I mean, other than, you know, War of the Worlds, why not just call it, you know, Tom Cruise's uh, Alien Invasion movie? Yep. Uh, and, uh, and then and you just make that movie, you know, exactly as it is. Uh, and I always hated that same scene with Tim Robbins, too, by the way. Um, um, <laughs> but, just, but just call it, you know, the Tom Cruise Alien, call it yeah. a different name. Don't call it, H- and just don't, you know, don't do that. Yeah, um, then, then, I, then I will dislike it a little bit less. But I, you know, that's what it is. Tim, let's talk about these uh, these four uh, Paramount presents titles. Flashdance being one of them, which we're giving away. But yeah. uh, uh, let's talk about these just for a second. Paramount presents is a new line of Blu-rays of classic Paramount titles. You got the first four here, and it's an interesting collection of films. They've come out with. Um, well, there's King Creole, which I have to just – that's one of them, right? That's one of them, yeah. I mean, Elvis and King Creole, which I think I thought was so odd. I mean, I, Flashdance and Fatal Attraction, I totally get. I get mm-hmm. why that – and To Catch a Thief is sort of the only classic uh, Hitchcock film that Paramount mm-hmm. has. The others are all Universal or, or Warner Brothers in, in, mm-hmm. in one case. So To Catch a Thief, I get it. That's their Hitchcock. They want to shine a light on that. Why do you think they would go with King Creole? King Creole is actually kind of a gritty Michael Curtiz film. Uh, you know, it's 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 um, it's dark, um, uh, it's dramatic, um, um, and you know, there's a, it, there's a certain amount of foreboding in that movie. Plus, uh, it's 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 Elvis Presley's best best acting performance. That this and Blazing um, Blazing what was it? Oh. Flaming Star. Flaming uh, Star, that's right, that's Flaming right, the Star. Western, yeah. Uh, the young Elvis Presley, before he started, you know, before he went to Hawaii and, and started doing all those you know, movies, that young Elvis Presley was as good as James Dean. He's James yeah. Dean good in this movie. There you go. Well, I got to say, what I really enjoy about this movie is Walter Matthau was a badass yeah. mobster, badass criminal guy. But still, I mean, you know, it's true. It is it is gritty, but they're not they're not playing up the gritty part of it. The uh, the yeah. cover of this has Elvis holding a guitar and, the, and a girl yeah. in a in yeah. a banana bikini. They they make it look like it's uh, you know, v- Viva the... Las Vegas, but yeah. that it is not. It is it is definitely a grittier uh, Elvis film, but definitely uh, unusual. Um and you can also do a song direct song playback on that. Um To Catch a Thief, I want to I want to lay some love on for a second here too. Oh, to Catch yeah. a Thief is such a good film. It's a Cary Grant film. Uh, directed by Alfred Hitchcock, and uh, it has an absolutely to die for Grace Kelly in it. Now, Grace Kelly, of course, did acted for Hitchcock in Rear Window. Cary Grant, you know, uh, was in, a, in uh, was of course North by Northwest. Put them together in here, and it's not one of Hitchcock's best, but it's so fun. And yeah. the, dude, a cat burglar. They it, don't, that's not even a word. That's not even a thing anymore. In <laughs> Monaco, it's just it's it's just lovely. It really is. It's a lovely, lovely film. And Grace Kelly is just so great as this heiress, and it's just 
it's a it's a really really sharp film. They did a great transfer of this. Uh, it's a wonderful wonderful film to rediscover if you've never seen it. Cary Grant just ageless and there's uh, some, some scenes in that movie that are just so incredibly beautiful. And when they're in the flower in, in the flower, um, uh, you're right, um, right. Market. Oh, it's just extraordinarily beautiful. And then the last two here, Fatal Attraction and Flashdance. Um, Adrian Lyme. Man. I, I was a big fan of Adrian Lyme for a long time. This, yeah. is, this is Jacob's Ladder. Uh, you know, he, he, sort of, he sort of ushered in a style yeah. um, there for, that was sort of the thing there for a moment in the early 80s. And, yep. this, was, and this would be uh, exactly that. Yep. It, it, he did. I mean, both, with both of these films. And they're very different, too. Even though they have that 80s style... Flashdance, you know, gave us Jennifer Beals, and and it, it's you know this wonderful sort of coming of age story of this dancer. It's kind of like the the female version of Saturday Night of, of uh, Saturday Night Fever. It's a dude, little bit of that. Girls, women, young ladies were wearing sweatshirts with the torn, the, the cutoff. Yeah, it, 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 he it literally created that. Yep. Uh, suddenly, being a stripper. Became not such a speedy <laughs> thing to do. It became like, yeah, you know, uh -huh. strippers. Yeah, the strippers are fabulous. And look at where we are now. And so you know, yeah, it's a thing, man. And Fatal Attraction has an Adrian Lyne discussion of the film on it with all of the original special features, his commentary, uh, the alternate ending, that famous alternate ending which uh, audiences hated, so they had yeah. to go back and shoot the, uh, the the creepy one. And then on uh, on with Flashdance, uh, there's also a new Adrian Lyne feature where he's looking back on it and. And again, all the uh, the original featurettes from that. No commentary, however, on Flashdance. Nothing, nothing from Joe Estrehaus? Nope, nope, no, nothing from <laughs> yeah, Joe. I, was like, I, was, I still love hearing from Joe. Joe was a... Yeah. Joe was an interesting guy. Uh, let's see. Where else do we want to go? What, do we want to hit the Criterions? Get these, get oh, these, knock these Criterions out, and then I'll and I'll grind through some of these uh, these these Kinos again. Get back to the the, the pile of Kinos. Uh, we got four from Criterion. Uh, the Great Escape. Uh, which has, again, a young Richard Attenborough in it, along with Steve McQueen and James Garner and uh, Donald Pleasance, and it's just a, it's an all-around great movie. I just, you know, you know, I, I fell in love with The Great Escape all over again watching uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood because uh, of all of that stuff with, uh, with uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. You know, were you, were you the original guy instead of Steve McQueen? Yeah, and then they have those great recreations of him in The Great Escape. I thought it was yeah. fantastically fun. Um, so Criterion has given us The Great Escape. It is an absolutely wonderful transfer. This film is almost three hours long. It blows by like you can't even imagine. It is just fantastic. John Sturges uh, looking widescreen uh, photography. It's just absolutely wonderful it's not it's just wonderful uh john sturge is one of the great widescreen directors of all time the alan bernstein music is so memorable i love this movie it comes with gigantic piles of extras on it you can't even believe there's a new interview with our colleague michael schregau who does a who really really lays it out michael's a terrific guy um there are a couple of audio commentaries. The original 1991 from John Sturges and Elmer Bernstein, which is great because neither of them are with us anymore. And then the other one from uh, 2003 with James Coburn, James Garner, and Donald Pleasance. They are both absolutely terrific. You'll, you'll watch this film three times, once without and then once with each of the commentaries. There's also a four-part 2001 documentary about the actual real-life escape that inspired the film and it's it's almost as good as the film itself it's riveting and a whole bunch of others here interviews and uh documentaries and it's just it's it's just beyond belief how good this is one of the best criterion i've seen in a long time 
in terms of the mm. extras, at least. Dance Girl Dance. Oh. Directed by Dorothy Arzner. This is, oh, yeah. This is girl time. Dorothy Arzner directing Maureen O'Hara, Lucille Ball, and Lewis Hayward is the token guy. In 1940, um, a film totally worth rediscovering. This was made for RKO at the time. And uh, Dorothy Arzner, unfortunately kind of forgotten, but boy, what a great uh, way to resurrect her, her career and her reputation yeah. with this fantastic film. Uh, really, she was the only studio system female director working in the 30s and 40s. The others were all kind of silent era, and they got shut out by the time World, the, the, the Depression of World War II came around. Yeah. Arzner kept it going, and she didn't mince words. Uh, this is a fantastic backstage kind of gritty pseudo-noir and uh, look at these two chorus girls, uh, played by Maureen O'Hara and Lucille Ball. I mean, really, Lucille really Ball good. Lucille Ball was so young and beautiful. And, oh. <laughs> well, she was just beautiful. Fantastic. Just fantastic. Made in 1940. Uh, great new introduction by V. Ruby Rich. And a new in uh, interview with Francis Coppola. And uh, you just can't do can't can't go wrong with that. Dance, girl, dance. What a great film. Uh, what, is, what is what is what is in the, you, you have that Eric Romer uh, six more tales? Yeah, more tales. That's right here. What's, what what, what did, that's like, first of all extraordinary. Incredible. Eric Romer, you know, out of the new wave, uh, can I do cinema? All yep. of that. Um, um, him, but he was he was a little bit different than his subtle, uh, slightly younger new wave contemporaries. True, true. Um, and um, uh, and and he had he, more. He's, he had more in common with Woody Allen, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, he uh, made his films are very, very tepid, very low key, long takes. Actors really very naturalistic. They're very humanistic. Not a lot of unlike the rest of the new wave. He wasn't trying to sort of prep, push the envelope. Say. Look what I can do stylistically. I can do new things with the camera. I can do things without any money. He just wanted to point a camera at some actors with some really honest emotions and let them do their thing. Yeah. And not yeah, intrude. Yeah. Put, and, you know, place, a, place a question, yeah. uh, a, con a consideration at the center of it, and, there, and then there they go. Uh, just Bergman. Talking and talking. Bergman-like. Very Bergman-like. Yeah. He's very Bergman-like. So Eric Romer's Six Moral Tales uh, and the films are The Bakery Girl of Monceau, Suzanne's Career, My Night at Maud's, La Collectionneuse, Claire's Knee, and Love It. Claire's Knee oh Claire's is so beautiful, right? Yeah. And Love in the Afternoon. And it's a beautiful custom box set of The Six Moral Tales, which have been out before, but never in Blu-ray and never in a beautiful uh, Criterion box. So that's, uh, that is absolutely superb. Lo tons and tons of stuff here. There are uh, short films by uh, Romer on here from the 1950s and 60s. Um, some television stuff, interviews, uh, a, a great, great, fantastic uh, booklet of essays, and and many, many more. It's a great box set. It's absolutely wonderful. And uh, if you love this kind of very constrained French filmmaking, I would almost say that this is more influential of today's films than anybody else from the New Wave. Mm, yeah. And yeah. our last criterion is the Western Destry Rides Again, uh -oh, directed by Jimmy George Stewart Marshall. And yeah, I would never have expected this to go criterion, but that's what that's what it's all about. It's about surprising you. Not a lot of extras on here. Uh, you know, so a couple of couple of interviews, a Lux Radio Theater adaptation of the story from 1945 with uh, James Stewart and Joan Blondell instead of uh, Marlena Dietrich. And uh, some illustrated audio excerpts from uh, the 1973 oral history interview with uh, George Marshall that was done for the American Film Institute. But otherwise, this is one of the, those films from 1939 that gets mm. lost, that kind of gets lost between the cracks, right? Oh, yeah, Gone, Gone with the Wind. You, you got uh, Gone with the Wind. Wizard of you Oz. Got, you got the Wizard of Oz, yeah. Mr. Smith. And I mean, it's, it goes on and on and on, all the way down. And then you forget that movies like Destry Rides Again were made in the same, same year. 
Um, it's a comedy western. It's 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 sort of I don't want to call it the the Blazing Saddles of its day, but it sort of was. Mm. Uh, they didn't really have Blazing Saddles at the time, but it was um, it was kind of you know lighter than any of the other westerns, and it it, it gave Jimmy Stewart uh, an amazing range in that year. I mean, he did Mr. Smith, and then he also did this. It was an amazing year. So really, really fun uh, fun chemistry between uh, those two, Marlena Dietrich and Jimmy Stewart. Destry rides again unexpectedly fun uh, criterion. So let me hit some of the rest of these uh, these kinos right here and just uh, kind of gr- try to grind down through this. Yes, we've right. got we've got The Caper of the Golden Bulls uh, by Russell Rouse. This is a uh, this is kind of a weird um a very typical of the era 1967 film that st- uh, and and Russell Rouse, just to kind of give you a little backdrop, was is the guy who directed the Oscar. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago or a few weeks ago, and um, very much of the day didn't really make a lot of movies outside of this moment. But this is one of his better ones. It's a heist film that stars Stephen Boyd of Ben Hur fame and Yvette Mimieux of the uh, the Time Machine and later of the Black Hole, mm-hmm. and uh, it, it's 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 about a blackmail and a jewel heist. It all takes place in this beautiful, beautiful Spanish setting, and uh, it feels very 60s. It's very groovy, but it's also kind of wannabe James Bondy. You can tell James Bond movies are influencing everybody at this point. Um, I really, really a, a very enjoyable film. Not a great film, but thoroughly enjoyable. Film history historian uh, uh, Philippa Berry does the audio commentary. Uh, we've also got Woman Times Seven. Uh, a nine, also from the same year, 1967, with Shirley MacLaine doing her level best to just be as adorable and cute. And, uh, <laughs> and, and you know, in all these movies, she kind of slays all the men. And what a great bunch of men she has to slay here. Alan Arkin, Rosanna Brazzi, Vittorio Gassman, and last but not least, Michael Caine and Peter Sellers. Who do you think directed this utterly, fantastically fun, wicked, silly movie? None other than... Vittorio De Sica? De Sica, what? my man. <laughs> De Sica, what are you doing? The master of neorealism. Uh, and uh, he, so he said, you know what? I got a chance to work with Shirley MacLaine and Peter Sellers and Michael Caine and Alan Arkin. Uh, I'm doing it. I'm That's doing it. it. And I'm going to bring Rosanna Brazzi and Vittorio Gassman along just because uh, I can't be the only Italian working on this thing. So in any case, um, it's a really, really fun film. It is a really fun film. It is not at all a De Sica film that you would expect, but... It's uh, it's just a lovely comedy, and it's sweet and it's fun. And Shirley MacLaine is uh, is at the center of seven different stories. It's kind of like a love American style thing uh, with all these 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 Shirley MacLaine centric stories that take place in Paris. And it's really really lovely. And uh, I I just love Shirley MacLaine from this period of her career. And she, oh, yeah. she's she's terrific. She's just so much fun. Uh, murder, he says, not murder, she says, murder, he says, with uh, Fred McMurray, along with yeah. Helen Walker and Marjorie Maine, 1945. Um, noteworthy primarily because of, uh, of Fred McMurray, also directed by George Marshall, who we mentioned earlier. Our friend Michael Schlesinger does the uh, audio commentary here, along with Stan Taffel, film archivist. Michael Schlesinger, who I just spoke to the other day, honestly, and we, you know, we covered his short films, the uh, the Biffle and Schuster uh, mm-hmm. movies on on the show, and interviewed him. Uh, Michael, Michael has no stuff that I just I don't even know how he keeps it in his head. Uh, he and I were talking for we probably talked for about forty minutes on the phone, and he was just coming up with stuff. He's, I, 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 how do you know that? Why do you know that? 
Like, how is it even possible? He just has an encyclopedic mind. It's so incredible. Uh, so, uh, really, really good commentary. I, uh, I wish the movie were a little bit better, but still it's significant from 1945. Uh, the General Died at Dawn from 1936. Uh, this is significant because it's an early Gary Cooper movie. Uh, it also has William Frawley, who, you know, Fred Mertz from the, the, from, uh, the, the, from My Love Lucy. Uh, directed by Lewis Milestone, who's done better work. This is, you know, right after um, uh, All Quiet on the Western Front. Uh, but it's, it's Gary Cooper and Madeline Carroll, who kind of disappeared afterwards. I mean, it's, uh, it's kind of a straightforward, um, uh, you know, courage story about a soldier of fortune and... Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, in northern revolutionary China, China in, in, yeah, it takes place in northern China during that revolutionary period. It's it's fine. It, it's it you know it, it could have been better. Uh, connecting rooms with Betty Davis and Michael Redgrave from uh, 1970. Michael Redgrave, kind of not quite where you know Betty Davis, definitely not what she used to be. But mm. um, you know, it uh, it's got a commentary by by David Del Valle that kind of contextualizes it a little bit. It's a little bit of a melodrama that's kind of losing its uh, its luster. Uh, Love among the ruins. Directed by George Cooker with Catherine Hepburn and Laurence Olivier from 1975. All of them obviously aging, not what they had been even 10, 20, or 30 years earlier. But um, there's a real nostalgic quality to this, that all yeah. of these these aging greats were able to get together in a movie that sort of feels like it belongs to another decade. It lends itself to that. So it, yeah. it's sort of real PBS sort of quality yeah. to it. Yeah. And a great score by John Barry. Got to tell you, fantastic John Barry score. Um We've got more Marlena Dietrich in the uh, Ernst Lubitsch film um, Angel from 1937. Um, uh, Herbert Marshall, Melvin Douglas, Edward Everett Horton, who shows up in all of these things, co-star. Uh, Ernst Lubitsch, just one of the all-time great masters. Uh, Lubitsch and Dietrich, you just can't go wrong. You really can't. I mean, the, this thing is so polished and just so smart and has so many great little touches in it. I can't recommend it highly enough. Another one of our uh, uh, colleagues, former L.A. film critic member, Joseph McBride, who was part of our schlock documentary, um, mm -hmm. does the audio commentary and walks you through very methodically on why this is just such a classic film and how Lubitsch's technique works. And he really, he nails it. He identifies, he, he breaks the scenes down in just an absolutely perfect way. So great, great commentary by Joe McBride there. Mm, uh, love, love Melvin Douglas in that film. Oh, so good. Uh, I got just six more here, and then we'll we'll dive into something else to to kind of wrap the show out. Um, Song of Norway is a is a really unusual movie directed by Andrew Stone. Um, I I, I I saw this growing up. In Nineteen. This was made in nineteen seventy. I didn't yeah, particularly. Yeah, yeah. And this is one of the one of the, the basically uh, a, a a an operetta that's all about the life of Edvard Grieg, the famous Norwegian composer. The mm. it's it's weird because the music here doesn't really. It doesn't complement Grieg at all. This is more of just a kind of a regular operetta of the period, like Die Fledermaus and a lot of those things. But um, it's it's kind of, you know, uh, it was great on stage. And as a weird kind of throwback 1970s artifact, it's got a strange sort of kitsch to it. I don't... Uh, Edward G. Robinson just not... It's... Right. He's not. He's not. But you know what? It's just... It's a weird movie. It's a, it's a really strange movie with the music yeah. and... <coughs> things don't quite work, but I don't know. It's okay. It's got a, you know, the, the commentary is sweet and it's, well, so that's Florence Henderson. Is that before 1970? Is that before she became mom Brady? No, that's after, it's after, after, after yep. mom Brady. which also makes it weird. 
That also makes it weird. Uh, Catalani and Little Britches with Burt Lancaster, John Savage, and Rod Steiger. So this is a weird one. This is from 1981. Feels like it belongs in the early 70s. Uh, Lamont Johnson, who was big on television, did a lot of, you know, Six Million Dollar Man and whatnot, directed this. Kind of should have stayed on television. This was also made by Hemdale Films, who still owes me $120. Hemdale owes two hundred dollars. Hemdale owes me two hundred dollars from like like thirty years ago. It's hilarious. Anyway, uh, I'm never gonna let him live that down. So this is kind of a weird little peculiar late stage western of the of the early seventies variety that we get in 1981. Uh, that's all related to um, a couple of women played by Diane Lane and Amanda Plummer who uh, fall in with what's left of the Dalton gang led by Burt Lancaster. If that sounds weird, it is. Scott Glenn shows up in this thing. Rod Steiger shows up. Yeah. Uh, it's a it's a rather peculiar film. You're kind of really at a certain point only watching it for Diane Lane. I got to be honest. At least yeah. I was. Didn't really want to watch it for anything else. Robert Mitchum and Elizabeth Taylor, along with Mia Farrow, in the Secret Ceremony. Um, this kind of has. This is a Joseph Losey film, and it has the same creepy quality that Losey brought to the servant. Mm-hmm. Except this is from 1968, but boy, it has that weird 1968 pseudo gothic British feel to it. It's very creepy. Mia Farrow. It's it's the same era as uh, uh, yeah, Rosemary's Baby. Babies. Yeah, so it has the same creep quality to it. Uh, I don't know that I really enjoyed watching this, but it's it's uh, it's definitely well it's definitely well made. Losey still totally has it, um, but Elizabeth Taylor is playing you know an old prostitute. And uh, Mia Farrow is playing another one of those weird young women who reminds her of her dead daughter. And it just, it, from there, it just gets creepier and weirder. But anyway, uh, it's got an audio commentary by Tim Lucas. It's pretty good. And then the last three here, Jenny with Marlo Thomas and Alan Alda. Boy, doesn't that just scream 1970 <laughs> to you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that girl and MASH. Um, uh, this is, this is a... Uh, not bad. I, I enjoy both of them more than I enjoy the movie. Uh, Marla Thomas plays a woman who's uh, unmarried and pregnant in New York. And Alan Alda is, the, uh, is, is basically trying to ev- evade the draft to Vietnam. And they come together and all the usual kind of 70s romance stuff happens that you would expect. Um, all of this stuff was, was you know, quite consequential at the time. It was. You know, so this totally. would have played as a you know, sort of heavy and very serious sort of drama. And, and, and you know, I, I remember this kind of stuff. I kind of oh, yeah. movies at the time. Now it all seems a little bit, you know. They also. Who, who's not pregnant? What they, <laughs> what they also all have in, in common are, are scores, where at some point in the score, you will hear a chorus of women in the background going. <laughs> they, they, they all have that somewhere. And I don't know why. I don't really know why. Uh, Carol Reed of uh, Oliver and the Third Man fame uh, directed a really cool movie for London Films in 1951 uh, called Outcast of the Islands. It has Ralph Richardson, Trevor Howard, Robert Morley, and the great Wendy Hiller in it. And uh, this is a really, really cool kind of uh, adventure kind of on-location adventure movie uh, that takes place in the Dutch East Indies. And um, it's it's really 
a lot of fun. It's unusual because it's black and white, and I would you, you normally expect adventure films like this to be shot in color, but 1951, everything was kind of still mostly black and white. Yeah. So, um, but it has a, it has a, it has an unusual um, uh, interracial romance angle to it with uh, a, a young Polynesian woman or a young you know East Indies woman. Uh, it's really quite. It's quite interesting, and it's based on it's based on a Joseph Conrad novel that I've never read, so I can't speak to how how faithful it is to the novel. But it's uh, for 1951. It's really kind of a fascinating um, a fascinating artifact. And then the last of these amazing Kino titles is Supernatural with Carol Lombard and Randolph Scott. Love them both. 1933, early talkie, uh, directed by Victor Halperin. Uh, an independent film made at the time in 1933 that is now part of the Paramount Library, uh, but really uh, a, a, a fascinating departure for Carol Lombard, who was known primarily as a comedian at the time, and Randolph Scott was a Western guy at the time. And uh, here, they, it's kind of a supernatural possession tale uh, that gets into a, a weird kind of a there's, a... there's like a... there's a murder story... And then there's a, a, a seance, and then things go sideways, and you don't see where anything is coming from. And it's really, it, 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 there's a couple of plot holes in it that they can't explain, they can't plug, that make no sense whatsoever. But otherwise, it's pretty smartly put together in a, as far as, you know, supernatural movies for this particular time that all were very, you know, dealing with occultism and whatnot. Supernatural, good, smart, sharp little 1933 movie, and a great turn of, uh, turn of pace for Carol Lombard and Randolph Scott. Uh, Tim, we've got, uh, maybe another five minutes left. Want to do some, want to do some, want to do some Warner Archive? Yeah, hit the Warner Archive stuff for sure. Yeah, let's do that. Uh, at the top of that being Tin Cup, uh, uh Captain Costner, 19, 1996, Ron Shelton doing his sort of sports thing that he does. Interesting thing about Tin Cup. Tin Cup, uh, 1996 comes right between, if I'm not mistaken, Waterworld and The Postman. Yep. Uh, two two of the biggest Kevin Costner flops, uh, uh, you know, ever. Yeah. Uh, neither one of those movies did well, despite the fact that they built that whole wacky True. thing out, out, at, out at Universal. Um, and, and then, you know, but Tin Cup between those sort of, you know, kept his star rising. Um, you know, to put it in perspective, you, if you go all the way back, 1987, uh, Kevin Costner, uh, uh, you got, uh, let's see, I mean, where were we at in 1987? Oh, he he had just done uh, well. Okay, so eighty. Hold on. Untouchables. Yeah. And yeah. if I'm not mistaken, probably Bull Durham. Maybe yeah. even Phil the Dream. Phil the Dreams might have been '89. So Kevin Costner had been this big movie star, and then of course Dances with Wolves. You know, uh, 1990, 30 years ago this year, dude. Wow. Dances Crazy. with Wolves, 30 years ago this it's year. It's it's sitting in my Blu-ray player right now. I'm half. I'm. I, I was just watching it the other day. Uh, it's what I do. Uh, yeah, actually, anything, anything on that tin cup? No, nah, not really, not really. Yeah. No, it's just tin cup, just a Blu-ray of tin cup. So you gotta love it, and that's all you get. Ron Shelton, yeah. I've seen, I've seen him at the market. Yeah. Uh, we, we also get Van Johnson, Martine Carroll, and Herbert Lom, the wonderful Herbert Lom, who never gets Ooh. enough credit for his movies in yeah. Action of the Tiger. Parents young uh, film. Yeah. Uh, you know what? I mean, Van Johnson, even when he was aging, and he's aging not terribly well here, but he's just, he's got a real great, this is, you know, this is about a mercenary uh, sailor, mercenary uh, uh, itinerant sailor, and, and you know, around the uh, the Mediterranean, in the area of Greece and Albania. And uh, 
it, it's it you know he's not a bad guy but he plays a heavy really really well especially when he's he's older and uh Sean Connery shows up in this too which I thought was yeah. hilarious because Terrence Young and Sean Connery would do Dr. No uh, yeah. just a few years later. So it's it's funny that they made this uh, right before that. But, yeah, Action of the Tiger, good, sharp, little kind of unusual turn for Van Johnson with a young Sean Connery in it pre-Bond. Wow, wow. Dodsworth. Uh, oh, so good. The, uh, the 1936 film, William Wyler, of course, uh, adapting to Sinclair Lewis. Uh, this is just a, just a lovely it's movie great. about a retired auto guy and his wife who take this long long planned vacation to Europe, um, you know, and they, they sort of find out that they're probably not meant for each other anymore. Uh, yep. yeah, this is just really a lovely and moving sort of serious drama. Sinclair uh, Lewis. Yeah. Sinclair, Sinclair ba- Lewis, based, yeah. On, based on the Sinclair Lewis novel, which a lot of yeah. people don't don't necessarily realize, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, Walter Houston and Ruth Chatterton. Lovely, lovely movie. Mary Astor's in that movie, too. David Niven's even in that movie. I know. It's crazy. The people that show up in these things. One of my all-time favorite uh, performances from my all-time favorite actress is uh, in uh, Inside Daisy Clover. I... Oh, I adore Natalie Wood. I was devastated when she died. There's a great new documentary about her that yeah. that, we, that people have to see when it when it finally comes out. Um, N- Natalie Wood is is just uh, she was it for me as far as actresses when I was growing up. And Inside Daisy Clover might be her most devastatingly powerful performance. It is yeah. just absolutely superb. Um, and what a great great bunch of people in this. Robert Mulligan, who of course did uh, Man in the Moon and mm. uh, and the uh, the Miracle Worker and, and so many other wonderful wonderful fine films uh, directs this and um it's it's a it's a great look at celebrity it's sort of it's very self-reflexive you know what natalie yeah. wood went through in her rise to celebrity and what it did to her and what it happens to the fictitious character of daisy clover here there's a lot of, there are a lot of parallels um and it's just it's really really an extraordinary film christopher plummer Totally lets her take the limelight. Uh, Robert Mulligan directs the hell out of both of them. Robert Redford, Ruth Gordon. Ryan oh Kyle, my gosh, I know. It's on fantastic. That. Alan Pakula uh, produced it, uh, and a wonderful score by Andre Previn. You, you got to get this. No extras other than a, a, a War and Pieces cartoon from the era, but uh, that it's still a great film. Inside Daisy Clover, so yeah. good. Beautiful, 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 beautiful. Uh, Mystery of the Wax Museum, 1933 film. Yeah. A lot of 33 uh, films today. Yeah, a lot of 30, a lot, a lot of stuff in the 30s anyway. Yeah. Um, um, uh, so, you know, it, this is a fairly good, you know, uh, this sinister guy, is, I, I suppose, probably influenced later, some years later, uh, the, um, uh, what, what's, what's the film that's in slock uh, with Dick Miller? Uh, oh, uh, 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 Bucket of Blood. Bucket yeah, of blood. Bucket of yeah. blood, you know. Yeah. Uh, people, corpses, leads you to the wax museum, they're, and they're putting the, they're putting the, they're putting the dead people. Yeah. Uh, the, yeah. Say, hey, there it is. Uh, uh, anything interesting with that, sir? No, nothing on it. Nothing on it. I mean, it, it's, a, it's a UCLA film archive restoration. There are, I mean, there's a little bit. There's a documentary on uh, Fay Ray and uh, a commentary by uh, Alan K. Rohde uh, and a, co- a commentary by Scott McQueen, but no, nothing else other than no, no, like, featurettes and, mm-hmm. you know, behind the scenes or outtakes or anything of that sort. Nothing nothing archival that you might hope for. Um, Sweet Bird of Youth, <coughs> the uh, Tennessee Williams play, was adapted into a pretty great movie starring Paul Newman and Geraldine Page. Uh, it's kind of hard to go wrong with this material. And uh, this was 1961, 
And Brooks. Richard Brooks really absolutely killed it. He wrote it and he directed it. And it's got Shirley Knight, Ned Begley, and Rip Torn, and a great supporting cast in it, uh, produced by Pondra Berman, shot in Cinemascope. Glorious, beautiful, fantastic uh, Cinemascope. It's just, it is, it's, it is, it's Tennessee Williams at his best with two amazing actors, and um, it, it's, it's really sharp. you got to love this. got to love it. Can't, can't go wrong. Yeah. Uh, also, Reflections in a Golden Eye with Elizabeth Taylor and Marlon Brando. Gee Ooh, whiz, yeah. right? Uh, big, big drama. John, John Huston. John Huston. Ray Stark produced this. Uh, I mean, this was 1967, right before Ray Stark made uh, Funny Girl based on his aunt, uh, Fanny, uh, Fanny Bryce. Um, uh, this, it's just powerhouse actors here. I mean, I don't know how you go wrong with Elizabeth Taylor and Marlon Brando on the screen together. It's just... Watching them act is so absolutely fantastic. They're just both powerhouses, and you realize why they're why they were so great. Um, yeah, it's very mature material, you know, a lot of you know, it is swapping and stuff. Yeah, you know? and, and, and yeah, totally. Julie Harris is so good in this in their supporting performance too. You don't let the, don't let the stars like completely obfuscate everybody else who's doing good work here. Uh, you know, Brian Keith is great in it. Julie Harris is great in it. It's really uh, a lot of a lot of great stuff going on in this film. Uh, based on the novel by Carson McCullers, another great novelist of the day. And the last one, Rachel and the Stranger. Oh, yeah. So sweet, right? Robert Mitchum, young Robert Mitchum, young William Holden, and Loretta Young for the for the great uh, producer, Dory Shari. Uh, directed by Norman Foster, but it's a Dory Shari. Dory Shari was a, was a, a really powerful producer at the time. Yeah. Waldo, Waldo Salt wrote the screenplay, made in 1948 for RKO. Um, it's just beautiful. I, I, all these, these are all three great stars, and uh, this takes place in, eight, in the 1820s. It's a frontier story, you know. Uh, you can kind of put the math together. Take the 1820s frontier story: Loretta Young, William Holden, Robert Mitchum. Who gets the girl? That's it. Mm. That's all it is. Uh, you know, uh, it, it's it's uh, it's pretty great uh, and a lot of fun. So, based on the story Rachel by Howard Fast. Well, that's it this week, Tim. Um, yes. Uh, stay well. We're starting to see good numbers here in uh, in LA and California. They're starting to loosen things up uh, statewide and in the county. So Indeed. let's uh, let, let's hope we can we can see each other's faces in in the flesh at some point soon and uh, and get back to normal. Um, with that, we are still doing shows ad hoc, everybody. So uh, you know we will be back uh, not necessarily next week, but uh, possibly the week after. Depends how uh, how things with fulfillment on DVDs and Blu-rays loosen up. Otherwise, be well and uh, pay attention to a lot of the uh, the good stuff that's out there on Criterion Channel and Shout TV and uh, HBO Max launches today, literally. Yeah. So there's a lot of great classic Warner Brothers and MGM stuff on that as well. So um, a lot of stuff out there to keep you happy in movie world while under quarantine, wherever you are. And otherwise, we'll be back and we'll see you in a couple of weeks. Sounds good. 